I was thinking as we were singing, it's it's a beautiful song, that uh, the people that were studying in the Gospel of Mark had been waiting, waiting for a Messiah. And then he came and popped all their ideas about what Messiah would be, about the kingdom of God. And we're watching as we go through this early part of the Gospel of Mark, this question as people struggle, who is this guy? Who is Jesus? And of course, that's what Mark wants us to be struggling with. Who is Jesus and what does it mean to follow him? And we're watching that as we go through. And today, as we come to chapter 4, Mark finally introduces us to a segment. In fact, it's the one extended area of Jesus' teaching method in the early part of his ministry. Mark focuses a lot on the encounters with different people. There's a lot that Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark, but his formal teaching isn't really focused on that much. And today we're going to look at the one chapter that Mark really devotes to that particular type of teaching in which Jesus used parables. And we're going to come to one of the more familiar parables for people that have spent any time in Christian faith, the parable of the sower and the seed. But we get to come at it in the story. And so you've maybe heard the the sower and the seed and the soil preached as a sort of a a one-off sermon. And there's lots of beautiful ways it can be applied. But today we get to see it in the story. There's a reason why Mark chose it here. Uh, the story leads up to what is intended. And so I think we're going to get a fresh, at least a, as accurate a look at what Jesus intended, not only with this, but three other brief parables, as we are in Mark 4, verses 1 through 34, which is page 709 in your pew Bibles. So please turn there. I want you to have the passage in front of you. We're going to refer to it throughout because our job here is to exegete it, to Dig out the truth from it. So page 709, or however else you have, the fourth chapter of Mark in front of you, and follow along as I read, beginning at verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. And then Jesus said, key verse, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. And he told them 
The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Now that's a quote from Isaiah, which we'll explain in a little bit. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no roots, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things, come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Then he said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. And with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own followers, he explained everything. This is the word of God. All right, so a very condensed look at how Jesus preached these, this major parable and then three smaller parables carefully selected by Mark, not just as a sampling, but because of the role they play at this point in the series. And so in order for us to come at this, and obviously there's some interesting stuff in between the parables. There's some strong things said here that might even be unsettling to you when you first first listen to it. And so we're going to explore all of that in the moments that we have together. But in order to do that, let's capture the story so far. 
Because we need to play it up. We need to play up to this moment and understand why these parables. So first of all, we know that in the first three chapters, Jesus has gone about preaching and healing. He's very active in ministry. You, you will note, if you read carefully along with me, that multiple times the kingdom of God is mentioned in this chapter. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God. That should be no surprise because he announced that's what he was preaching. We introduced the very first week his primary theme of his preaching in chapter 1. Put that verse up. Let's say this together. The time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come to you. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus' message was that the long-awaited kingdom of God that you have been waiting for that has been far away has now come near. It is available to you if you will repent and believe the good news. That's at the heart of his whole message and his mission on earth, ultimately leading to the cross by which he made way into the kingdom of God, made effective our repenting of our sin and believing. But in order to underscore the importance of this as his mission, go to the next verse. This was later on in that same chapter where he says, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So in other words, at this point, Jesus is saying, my whole mission is to spread the good news of the kingdom of God. Preaching was his priority and accompanied with miracles. Sometimes we like to flip that. We want the miracles first and most important. We want the miraculous and we'll settle for the teaching in order to get the miraculous. That's not Jesus' priority. His teaching is the priority. The miracles are validation of the message. When you get that switched, you get everything wrong about Jesus and why he's come. And so he's preaching about the kingdom of God. And he's performing great signs and wonders. As a result, there are great crowds that are following him. And that's the next thing that we see as we look at the story so far. Great crowds have come. This is the season. Go ahead and put it up. This is the season of Jesus' greatest popularity. This is before the inevitable conflict between all the different people that are following him right now produces a, a, a great drama that leads to ultimately the betrayal of the people and the crucifixion, which was God's plan from the beginning. But at this point, the crowds are so big, Jesus can't get away from them. They're showing up everywhere. He has to go into a boat to get away just to preach them. I think that was actually his, his act, his way away from the crowds, get in a boat and go someplace. We know that he did that. So it's very popular, but also within this huge crowd, lines are being drawn about who Jesus is. We've seen that in the last two weeks of studying the chapters two and three. In, within this crowd, you have the crowd itself, which is a mixture of the curious, because there were no movie theaters back then. This was the best show in town. The curious, you have the, the needy, you have the skeptics, you have the sinners, all there hungry and longing. Within the crowd there were the disciples and others, as Jesus says. There was a, a large group within the crowd that was pretty devoted to Jesus that in chapter 4 is referred to as the twelve and the others who were around him. 
That group believed that he was sent from God and, and was most likely the Messiah. While they were still trying to figure out exactly what that meant, that's the whole drama that we're going through right now in the gospel, and that will be ultimately revealed in the weeks to come. There's this great climactic moment that changes everything when they finally declare who Jesus really is, what it means that he's the Messiah, and then Jesus' teaching will change dramatically as well from that time on. Then there are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who last week we saw think that he's at best a heretic and at worst demon-possessed. And then there's his family who think he's crazy. And they, they come and they try to take control of him. That's what we saw last week in chapter 3. If this was today, they'd be going to a court to get his competency removed he'd be declared incompetent so they could take him someplace safe to recover from his god complex i mean his siblings had grown up with them they'd watched him go through puberty they'd watched they've heard his voice change now look what he's doing this, and he's embarrassing the family so so here's this is really important lines are being drawn within this crowd about jesus mark's helping us to see that very clearly right and so now, with that background in mind, we come to the first verse, and we see that Jesus continues. Again, Jesus begins to teach. And because the crowd's so big, he gets in a boat, gets some distance, but then he sits, which is the position, the traditional position of the rabbi. I'm not trying to be a rabbi today. It's just a lot more comfortable. Um, but it's the traditional position of the rabbi teaching his followers. And he begins to teach the parables. Now, why did Jesus preach in parables? Look at the, the, the last two verses, verses 33 and 34. It, it, it's very clear about this. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own followers, he explained everything. Why did Jesus use parables? Well, the easiest and first answer is that parables are a powerful way of illustrating complex and profound truths. They're an illustration, right? An allegory, a way of being able to come at something, and who doesn't love a good story as an introduction that then allows you to explore a spiritual meaning. It's a powerful teaching tool. And some of Jesus' parables are very obvious, the meaning. But others are, are pretty obscure. And they're, they're, they're more of a riddle. It's like, what is, what is that about? And that brings us to the second reason that this passage shows us Jesus used parables. And that is that he is separating out the truly committed from the crowd. The hearer from the herd... That's what he says in these verses. And uh, so let's look first of all at verse 9 and 23, this very important phrase in the middle of it, this invitation, whoever has ears, the translation says ears to hear, but the Greek just says ears. Whoever has ears, let them hear. I think the translators are, are, are like being a bit captain obvious. Whoever has ears for hearing, let them hear. And the word for hear is akuo. It means to comprehend and accept as truth. 
So Jesus is sharing parables with the idea of inviting people into a deeper understanding of the truth. And the truth that he's trying to share is about the kingdom of God. And, and when we go on in verses 11 and 12, he says that. This, in fact, look at it in your text, because it's not going to show up on screen. Verses 11 and 12. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that... And this is where he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And this is where it, it, it appears, if you just come at this and just read it, you want to ask yourself, is Jesus kind of like being exclusive here? Is he like hiding things from some people and being open to others? It kind of feels that way when you hear it, at least the way it's translated. But actually, what he's talking about is the natural result of the, of the dividing lines that are in the crowd. When we talk about that phrase in verse 11, the secret of the kingdom of God, we might take the term secret to mean something that we're hiding from other people. This is our secret thing. But it's more like somebody who says, let me give you the secret to a great pie crust. You know, uh, The word secret in, to the Hebrews meant a, 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 an idea that has been previously missed or hidden by people that is now being revealed. What is it that Jesus is preaching on? Everywhere he goes, what did we just say it was? Thank you. <laughs> the kingdom of God. He's not hiding it. He's explaining it. And so what he's saying is that my idea of the kingdom of God is not what the people that have been longing for me expected it to be. And so right now what I'm actually doing is revealing the truth of the kingdom of God. And he's saying there is a certain type of person that is able to get it, and the rest aren't. <laughs> so it's something that he is disclosing. We get to find out what has been missed all these centuries because Jesus is making it available to us. How do we come to find it out? Secondly, what do we mean by the kingdom of God? What does that mean? We know First week, go back to the introduction statement that the kingdom of God is life with God. Life under God's rule and reign. The word kingdom in Greek, basileia, is not a geographical region or a physical throne. It's the act of ruling. The rule of God has come close to you. The life, uh, the, 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 the great being under which we were all created to live that life is now available if you'll repent and believe this good message I'm giving you, right? There's a, a parable that helps bring some insight a little better to this statement where he says, some get it and some don't. And that's the parable about the lamp on the stand. Look at verse 21, very brief little parable here. Do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. And then he says once again, If anyone has ears to hear, let them grasp this truth. 
Jesus isn't hiding the good news. He wants it to be brought into the open for everyone to hear it. He invited everyone to a deeper understanding of the parables, important, but only those who desired to understand and took the time to be with Jesus were able to grasp the truth. And the rest, quite naturally, by their own choice, were left in the dark. Now, what that means is something is emerging here, an idea is emerging at this point in our study of Mark that might be troubling, but it's really inevitable. Jesus clearly is now beginning to divide people in two categories. Those who have figured out what the kingdom of God is and have therefore entered into it and those he refers to as on the outside. That's Jesus' words. So right now he's saying, even in this crowd, there are those who get it and those who don't. And because of that, there are insiders and outsiders. Now, in our day and age of universalism and sort of, uh, you, know, you know, humanity, brotherhood of humanity, and all those things, uh, we celebrate the fact that we're all created by God, and sometimes we use the phrase, we're all children of God, and in some sort of creative sense, that's true. But one of the messages of the gospel is that there are those who receive forgiveness and therefore become children of God and become part of the kingdom. And there are those who, by not receiving that and not receiving the message, do not find that forgiveness and are on the outside. Right? So the hard question that we have to ask is, who is on the outside and who has entered the kingdom? This is what the parable of the sower is ultimately about. And so now let's look at this interpretation. The sower, the seed, and the soil explained in verses 14 to 20. I'm going to read it quickly. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root system, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like the seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires of other things, come in and choke the word out making it unfruitful. Others, like the seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So we've seen the whole context now, and here's what is happening here. Not only are people in the crowd drawing lines about who Jesus is, Jesus is drawing lines. Jesus is separating out this huge crowd of people into four types. And dependent on how they respond to the seed depends on whether they receive and enter into the kingdom of God. That, that's, 
the message that we see here as we go through it. The farmer is Jesus. He is in the field. He's spreading the seed. And this is important that you understand. He's spreading it indiscriminately. He's throwing it everywhere. The message is available to everyone. But then the seed, which is the Word of God, it's the Greek word logos, which is the Word of God, but it also refers to Jesus Himself, who John says is the logos made flesh. The truest and purest revelation of who God is, is Jesus Himself. And so this is about the person of Jesus, the message, and the mission of Jesus. That's what's being sown here. And it's being sown everywhere. He's thrown it out to everybody. But now there are four types of people. And how they react to the seed determines whether it has its way. The first is the seed that fell by the path. We're going to call that the hardened listener. The seed can't penetrate and is quickly eaten by birds. These are people who are so fixed and so hardened by their preconceptions, by their established ideas of themselves in the world, by the story they tell themselves about themselves and about other people, and their prejudices, which we all have in different ways, that when this, the, what has previously been unrevealed to them is now revealed to them, they have no place to handle it. They have no capacity. They, it has no effect because they're so hardened and set in their ideas. That's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in this crowd. That's Jesus' family at this point in time. Prejudiced, blinded, predetermined ideas, not receptive to truth. Then there are the rocky places. We're going to call that the shallow listener. At first they receive the message with joy. They're excited about this new idea, and they accept it. But they never develop a deep root system. We might call these shallow believers, right? And then they wither away. This is the listener who was attracted to Jesus' message for a time, and they accept it. But once the going gets tough, once the cost of following Jesus... Once the inevitable reality that we stand for some things that culture around us doesn't stand for. And it gets a little uncomfortable. That part where Jesus said, hey, they persecuted me. What do you think? They're going to persecute you. That's what he means when he says persecution that comes from the word. This is the person who embraces faith but is not willing to pay the price. They never develop the deep root system, and so they fall away. And then there are the thorns. We'll call that the conflicted listener. At first, they hear and receive the word, but other things take priority, and their new faith becomes unproductive. They ultimately come to love the things that they carried with them into their journey with Jesus more than their journey with Jesus, their pursuit of wealth, their worries and anxieties, which basically means that you're devoted and working hard and you're more passionate about establishing your life here, right? 
or other cares and worries or passions. Ultimately, this person, because their love for the things around them is greater than their love for God. Ultimately, they, they, may, they may get into the kingdom by the skin of their teeth, but they never produce fruit. Hey, which is what seeds are all about. Fruit bearing, they never fulfill their purpose. And then we come to this fourth soil, the good soil. I want to put a name, I want to wear a name tag that says good soil. I want that to be true of me. They hear the word, they accept it, and it produces a crop. This goes back to Jesus' challenge. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Let them comprehend. Let them stay with this and learn from me deeper so that you get the secret of the message. It's revealed to you. And in receiving it, you produce a harvest. These are the lines Jesus is drawing in his crowd. And I suspect we could draw those lines in any crowd where we come to hear the message of the cross. And here's another thing. I think at any given time in our lives, you and I can be any number of these soils. There are seasons of receptivity, but hey, any plowed field can turn into a highway, can get paved over, can get trampled hard. Life can keep us from being receptive, right? But all of us right now fit in one of those categories. It's important to ask yourself, what kind of soil am I? Let's look just for a couple of minutes at the seed itself because there are two other brief parables that deepen the idea of the seed. We've learned already that the seed is made available to everyone. Jesus is scattering the seed everywhere. He offers the kingdom of God to everyone. We also have learned that it will always bear fruit when it's received by good soil. This statement, some, t some 30, some 60, some 100 times, be careful not to read that as some sort of dramatic exaggeration where you go, wow, that's amazing. No, that's what seeds do. That's basically the amount of production you get when you plant a seed well. Seeds do what they're supposed to do when they find themselves in good soil. But then he has these two quick parables, which I'd like to read, that teach us two other things about the seed. Verse 26. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know why. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. This is before farmers knew why seeds grew. They just knew that they did. You get, there were no chemicals to help it out. There were no insecticides. It's probably a lot healthier. <laughs> no hormones. No genetic modification. You planted it and you waited. And when it was done, when it was in good soil, it grew. So the thing we learn about that is that the seed bears fruit without your help. It's not your job to make the fruit come. When the seed is planted right, fruit comes. And you go, wow, imagine that. How did that happen? How many of you in your journey with Jesus have experienced God bearing fruit in your life and you're going, how did this happen? Praise God, I, don't, I have no clue. 
The seed does what it does when it's in the right soil. And then he goes on, another quick parable. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it becomes the largest in the whole garden. And what that tells us is that the seed may appear to be a very small thing when we let it in. But when it's about the kingdom of God, it's the biggest thing of all. This is the biggest thing. And when it plants, God does His biggest work in us. And we're part of the biggest story in all of creation and time. Right? So the big question then is, if the seed just does its thing, and fruit is the natural result of that happening, then what's our part in this drama? What, what is it that we do? And here it is. Our role is simple. There's one role. To be good soil. To receive the Word. To let it grow. Deep roots. And to do what it does in our life. Your job is not worry about whether God's going to use you. Your job is to be the right soil. And I promise you, God will use you. God will use you. God will bear fruit in your life which is what you were made for. How does good soil come about? I tell you, it starts by getting broken up. Right, Ron? Yeah. Breaks up. You tear out the roots. You tear out the weeds that are our other passions and priorities. You get rid of the stones, the and you let the the soil go you let the seed go deep in your life that's our job and that's why Jesus really explains this whole idea of let him who has ears comprehend and hear in verses 23 through 25 when he says if anyone has ears let them hear and then he explains exactly what it means consider carefully what you hear for with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And then he goes on and says, that's why those who get it will have more because fruit will come. And those who don't consider, who don't hear, even what they have in the end won't be theirs. Be a wasted, a lost life. And so here is the sermon in one sentence. What you do with Jesus and his message determines everything else. What kind of soil are you? Father, thank you for Jesus. What a teacher. Thank you for the truth here. We see in the crowd that followed him ourselves, we see the types of soil we can be. We see the seasons when we're hard to what you want to say and resistant and stubborn. We see the times when we're in love with other things than you. We see the times when we're just not willing to take up our cross and follow you. Father, may we aspire to do nothing else but being broken before you and receptive to the truth so that you can have your way in our lives and bear fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.